We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to Talking Buffalo, featuring conversations with guests from around the world of sports, media, pop culture, and all things Buffalo, with your host, Patrick Moran. All right, what is going on, everybody? How you doing? Welcome to another episode of Talking Buffalo, your weekday daily driver for Buffalo Sports Talking More. I'm your host, Patrick Moran. Thank you very much, as always, for locking in today, whether you're listening to this in audio podcast form, whether you're checking us out, video site on YouTube. Appreciate you all at that midweek, later in the midweek, actually, point of uh, talking Buffalo. And that means I got my good buddy, Anthony Marino from Buffalo Rumblies on with me. Uh, let's just start with the base again. How you doing, buddy? <laughs> you know, I'm I'm doing okay. And it's... uh. You know, you know, I'm usually the uh, the optimistic one when I when I come for in. sure. Uh, I'm taking some hits though this this week. I'm I'm not gonna lie. Like as I was watching the game Sunday night, I found myself getting like angry over some of these missed calls or bad calls. And I know we'll talk about some of that stuff, but it's just like feels like it's a little bit of a tipping point for the uh, for the season for for the Bills. And you know. Here we are. I know we said it a couple weeks ago, heading into Tampa Bay, that it felt like a must-win game, and now Denver Monday night feels like a must-win game. So oh. it's just a weird feeling, right, when you're you're at that point. So I'm uh, I'm glad I get to be on with you. It's kind of always somewhat therapeutic, and just being able to talk through some things. And I'm glad you asked me to be on this week because I, well, I I'm I need it. Always glad to have you on. I, I got to tell you. Between the game itself, which, you know, it's time to move on, although we're going to bring up, you know, we're going to weave in and out a little bit of it here and there. But this is probably for sure this season, the the latest in the week following a game where I'm still kind of feel like that lingering hangover type of feeling. Um, I feel about that game and I feel about this team in general right now anyway. Kind of like how I do here in Buffalo this time of year, where it's starting to get cold and it's dark out at 515, that seasonal depression, that gloomy kind of feeling that you get. I was driving around yesterday. I, dude, I've, I have barricaded myself for the most part in my house since Saturday. I work from home. That's my primary job. So sometimes I'll go a couple of days without even leaving the house. Anyway, 
Um, the clocks went back overnight Saturday into Sunday. Yesterday was Tuesday. It's the first time I left my house. I, I had to go do some running around at about 10 after 5, and it's pitch dark out. And I'm like, I mean, this happens every year. It happens everywhere you live, too. But I'm like, this sucks. That feeling. That's how I feel right now. The Bills don't suck. That's not what I'm saying. But this season sucks so far. And the way I feel about the Bills right now sucks because it's just, I don't know, it's starting to feel like wash, rinse, repeat with the slow starts, the slog feeling that you get with this offense, the injuries on defense, which more and more injuries keep happening to this defense. I don't know, dude. It's just, uh, like I said, it's a a, a really gloomy uh, type of feeling. and. You know, they're five and four. They're not three and five. And people keep referring to seven and six in 2021. They were, you know, 13 games. They're only one game over 500. Should have went to the Super Bowl that year. I, I Just something, I don't know, Anthony. It's something just is feeling a little bit different to me, at least right now. Maybe I felt this way two years ago. And I just, I'm getting old that I can't remember how I felt two years ago at this time. But I don't know, man. I'm just not feeling it. You know what? I And I think, too, it's just there's a difference of expectations, right? I mean, you can think back to 2017, 2018, even 2019. It's like you're just you're just looking to get good, mm-hmm. right? You're looking for your quarterback still. And, you, you know, you can look at 2019, even through that season where it's like I remember being one like, yes, Josh Allen, give him if I had to make the decision today fifth year option i saw enough from him in 2019 of course then 2020 he explodes but now it's to that point where it's just when you expect the team to be great and they're not like people are just going to feel disappointed right i mean you think from 20 the 2020 season on right and 2020 for everything that that year was like the bills were the most positive thing that was going on in most people's lives that were you know, of course, Bills fans, right? Like you're dealing with a pandemic. Here you come with, you know, Good your point. football team starts to be great. And now it's like, yeah, things are back to normal, this and that. You still expect the team to be great. And there's just, it's lingering. And I said yeah. to you before we started recording, I think the Patriots loss is the one that's still lingering. There's no shame in losing to the Bengals the other night. There's no shame in losing to the Jaguars. I mean, those are games that you can look at and say, good football teams, hey, yeah. Anything can can happen. Like it's it's it's, but it's it's weird because again, things don't look the way you want it to. Nothing seems to be easy, and it's just like something that should be bringing you a sense of uh, excitement and joy is not right now. Yeah, well, <laughs> there's no question about it. Good point too, by the way. I never really thought of that. 2020, 2021. You got a pandemic going on. The Bills were a pick me up so to speak, sure. for fans maybe more than ever. You know, I was talking to my guy, Tone Bucks, on the show the other day. And for me personally, this is just me personally. I'm not talking about Bills fans, but me personally. Now that my, I had a son who played football for 13 years, from little, for, you know, little baby, little loop at five, six years old through high school football. And I think during those years, I always cared about the Buffalo Bills greatly. I, you know, I'm very passionate Sometimes you see it come out with some of my explosive tweets or, you know, getting angry on my own show. But when when my son played football, that was priority one. 
Like sure. if the if the Bills played a shitty game, like like, like say that uh the perfect Cincinnati game on Monday, and and I agree with you too. By the way, it's a game that they were expected to lose, not by a lot because the, the the odds were close. But still, my point is this: I get over it a lot quicker because. My first priority was, all right, what team is uh, my son's team playing next week? How did he look last game? His uh, The huddle game film's coming out. How does he look, you know, sent out to some schools? Stuff like that. I had so much more of, of my other energy devoted to him on his side with football that I was able to get over the Bills loss. Now that dude ain't playing no football no more. I'm stuck, you know, having being fully invested in the Buffalo Bills. So the hangovers after these games uh, just feel worse. and. We've talked about this last week, man. We could keep we keep doing this every week. It's a broken record. You look at the uh, the advanced metrics. You look at all the stats that suggest, you know, the Bills are pretty much as good as they were the last couple of years. They're averaging twenty six point seven points per game this year. I looked it up last year twenty eight point four. The year before, exact same thing twenty eight point four. Less than a two point per game difference this year than the last two years. But man, oh man, doesn't it feel completely different watching this offense play right now yeah and a few weeks ago that average was at 30 points right so right. It, is, it is moving in the wrong the wrong direction so like you can still look at things and say hey 26 points okay that should be enough for this and that but it is um yeah it feels like it's moving in the wrong direction w one quick thing it's funny as you were just saying talking about your your son and the prioritizing like you know what was happening with that so this this weekend on a Friday night, my son plays on a great high school volleyball team. They're playing mm -hmm. in the sectional championships uh, against the local rival, which you could probably argue are the top two teams in the state, but they're from the same district, the same mm -hmm. section. Lose a five-set tiebreaker heartbreak, right? I mean, coin flip can go any way. Same team they lost to last year in a five-set heartbreaker. Saturday, my daughter's first basketball game of the season that I coach we lose in overtime. I go into Sunday night. I'm just like, all right, man. <laughs> you know what I mean? And again, you're talking about things that are important in life, whatever, but just like, we're not going over three this weekend, are we? Come on. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, with the Bills game, you're just thinking to yourself. So it goes to that point of just like, oh my gosh, what's, you know, what was one thing that, that could have gone, could have gone your, your way. So it's, uh, again, I'm, we talk about what's important in life, but it's one of those where you just talk about some of that that gloominess or something to give you, a, you know, a little pep in your your step. It's uh, it's those things that we spend a lot of time following and and doing. It makes it very yeah. relatable. Football. Look, we we spend so much time talking about the Bills, writing about the Bills, watching the Bills, listening to other people write and talk about the Bills. That you are, it, it's a part of our lives and it's a significant one. And when they're playing shitty, it, it kind of, it bothers you a little bit. It certainly bothers me. And those numbers, like I said, it's so easy to skew them. They did put up 48 against Miami. I think that skews it overall. Um, you've had some late desperation, fourth quarter touchdowns, like in the Jacksonville game, the, uh, the Patriots game. The Bengals game. I'm with you though. I keep going back to the to the Patriots game. Just like last year with the Vikings game. Didn't seem like all that big of a deal at the time, but these games all matter in football. You only got 17 of them. They matter. Last year, because of that loss against the Vikings, that cost the Bills an opportunity to not even have to play in the first round. Now they still beat Miami in the first round anyway. But my point is I feel like that team was just mentally and emotionally and physically drained. 
and they really could have yeah. used that week. And I think that, you know, not to make excuses for them, but I think that's valid that, you know, they needed that this year. Look, they're going to be in a dogfight to get in the playoffs. Let's do this. Do you want the good news or the bad news? And I'm talking to you, and I'm talking to everybody out there who's watching and listening. What do you want first? You want the good news? You want the bad news? Get the bad news out of the way. Get the bad news out of the way. All right. Look, the Buffalo Bills right now, and this is just being objective and unbiased and honest, and I'm not speaking as a fan right here. This is a Bills team that could easily finish out of the playoffs right now. They could finish with nine wins maybe even eight wins and miss the playoffs entirely. I know it's done for fun and you take it with a grain of salt and he's certainly no, you know, expert, but it was fun listening, not fun, not this time anyway, listening to Howard Simon, you know, he still makes an occasional spot on WGR. Howard picks the bills. Howard picked the bills and win eight games for the yeah. season and be done. Um, they're at five. Okay. And they've played nine games and we're going to give them Denver. We're going to talk about Denver, by the way, uh, in the show a little bit. Look, it's the NFL and this team's. This is not the same Denver team that gave up 70 early in the season against Miami. But anyway, Denver, the Jets, which I hate giving the Bills and win against the Jets before they play because of how the Jets always play. But we'll do it. And then New England at home. That gets you to eight right there, right? You, then you yeah. got at Philly. At Philly. Let me reemphasize that. At Philly, who I think might be the best team in the NFL. At Kansas City. You're home against Dallas. You're on the road against the Chargers who you know they're going to go out and run at some point. They're just too talented not to. And then you're at Miami. You need to win two of those five. Again, Philly, Casey, Dallas, Chargers, Miami. You need to win two of those five to get the 10 wins. You're not getting into the playoffs going nine and eight. Not the Bills. They've already got four conference losses. Yeah. And the teams like Pittsburgh and Cleveland that they're going to be fighting with for a wild cards, they're not playing them. So head-to-head -head won't come into play. Conference uh Conference record is going to matter, and the Bills are only two and four right now in their conference. So they're going to need to beat two of those 10 teams, man. Um, they're in trouble. This is a team that's legitimately in trouble right now. Like, I feel like the margin for error is, is gone. They're going to yeah. have to play better. I'm sorry, not to cut you off. One last point, then I'm going to turn it over to you. Bottom line is this they're going to have to figure shit out. They're not going to get to the playoffs playing the way they are because they're not going to beat the good teams playing the way they are right now. Yeah, and, and good teams put bad teams away, and we have not seen the Bills True. do that this season, right? You can good look point. at the, you know, even two of the victories, the, you know, the win over the Giants, like when the Bills went up late in that game, their defense should have put the Giants away, but they did not. Right. Same thing against Tampa Bay, right, who has a Hail Mary that could have won the game for them. Uh, you look back, of course, the game against the Patriots. The Bills go up late, even though they had been outplayed that game. You're the better team. You go up late and you give up a touchdown drive to Mac Jones with a minute and 50 some seconds left. <sighs> and then even you talk about the game against the Jets and, and looking back at that piece. And it's like that is that is the difference between good teams and OK teams. And right now the Bills are an OK team. And there's so, you know, you go on social media, there's so much fighting back and forth of like what it is, whether it's this or that, or it, it's all of it. it. It's all of it. Like there is nothing like, I'm not just blaming Dorsey or McDermott or Josh Allen or the defense or the injuries or this. It is all of it. You combine it all together. And right now there is a weird part. And again, don't start yelling at me folks or getting in my mentions or whatever, but it's like, is it almost better if it's not working, then don't work. 
right, then miss the playoffs and realize that there is a problem and things need to be different, that maybe you held on to some guys for too long, that maybe things aren't working with your offensive coordinator, that maybe you need a different philosophy. That may, You know, there's a lot of what ifs, but it's just like that point of just you either need to turn it up now or or I don't know what, right? Yeah. And that's that's about as dramatic as I get in these no, not, situations. But. Listen, you're you're 100% right. It got to a point earlier in the week when I had uh, Tone on with me. We started talking about next offseason. And that's like the last thing I want to do. We started talking about the offseason and how much change is coming. Because there is change coming. I don't, if the Bills win the Super Bowl or if they don't make the playoffs, the salary cap and the amount of okay. free agents that they have and some of their contracts, there's change, big changes coming. I don't want to call it a, a rebuild. It's certainly not a rebuild. Might be like a maybe a soft reset, something like that. But there's changes coming in this organization. So that's the bad news. The bad news is plain and simple. The Bills are in legitimate trouble, and there is far from a lock. Like when they were seven and six two years ago, you never spent a second of your life thinking the Bills might not make the playoffs. At least I didn't, and most people didn't. I'm well, you can look at the right schedule now. then, and you know the schedule in front of them. They're seven and six, and what did you what did you looking at? Like the Falcons with the you know quarterback formerly known as Matt Ryan, mm-hmm. the the Panthers. You're playing the Jets at home. Like it just mm-hmm. you, you know you could see the path. Right now, the path is. And now, listen. You talk about all those games, and I know you're going to get to the good news, but it's like. If the Bills win any of those games on their schedule, the Bills can beat the Chiefs. The Bills can beat the Chargers, oh. the Cowboys. Like, there, there's nothing on the schedule that I look at and say just like, oh, they have no chance in this game. It would not surprise me if they won any or all of those those games. So it's like it's not a doom and gloom, but it's just kind of like get your shit together. Let's go. Yeah, I, I've said it over a couple times over the last few days. That since he game on Sunday – was the first time since the Bills lost in the AFC Championship game in 2020 where I felt at kickoff the Bills aren't going to win this game. I'm going to be honest with you. As things stand right now, I feel the same way about Philly. I think Philly's just a flat-out better football team. But, yes, they can beat the Chiefs, and trends matter. i said this many times. The Bills always get played tough by the Jets. Cincinnati just flat-out has the Bills' number. I mean, they don't just beat them. They're dominating them. And it's just the way it is right now. Conversely, the Bills play really well against Miami. I don't care where the game is. I don't care the circumstance. And the Bills play well against the Chiefs the last couple of years. The Bills absolutely can beat the Chiefs. They certainly can beat Dallas at home. The Chargers, they're such an enigma. It, it, it's frustrating. Um, but, you know, they're beatable. And the good news is this. Like I said, the bad news is they might miss the playoffs. Here's the good news. They're only a game back in Miami. They beat them heads up. And if you look at Miami's schedule, the way it finishes, their last three games, they're at home against Dallas, so they're playing Dallas at home in the back end of their schedule. They're at Baltimore, who nobody's talking about, and people should yeah. because this team is good. So they're at, so they're Dallas at Baltimore, and then they're home against the Buffalo Bills to end the season. Um, they still play the Jets twice. The Jets are a tough out. I'm telling you, the Jets are a tough out because how good they play defense. Point is this. So, yes, the bad news is they might miss the playoffs. The good news is this division is still very, very, very much in play for the Buffalo Bills. They can win this division. Miami hasn't beaten a team with a winning record since week three of last year, and that was the Bills who had about 10 million injuries and they played in a 100-degree weather game. You know what I mean? So 
not all is not lost, although it feels like it right now for the Bills. This is still a team that can win the AFCs for a fourth straight year. Oh, absolutely. And I think when you talk about it, too, it's like, listen, I, I don't know. May, maybe I'm not giving the Bengals enough credit, and I think the Bengals are a very good football team. So don't, don't get me wrong with that. And, you know, when you say, like, maybe they just have the Bills number. But I still think there's that piece of just like, even when this game started, like the Bengals come down and score, the Bills come down and score. And there's that part of you just like, are we finally going to get the game that we want between Mm -hmm. these two teams, right? Just this like back and forth and whatever it is. And it just, I don't look at anything that the Bengals did and just like, oh my gosh, this is so extraordinary. Like they, they just have the Bills number or there's nothing. It it almost like just felt self-inflicted and it's not, it's not not giving them credit, right? Like they, they won the game. I don't feel like the game was ever in doubt for them right after after halftime or anything along those lines. But it, it just felt more of like the Bills just playing like crap than it was, oh, my gosh, the Bengals are this juggernaut that the Bills just can't deal with. I think they're just really confident when they play the Bills. Yeah. I, they think they're better than the Bills. And, and they are <laughs> right now anyway. They yeah. are. Um, I mean, their players are talking shit during the week before the game. They win the coin toss, Anthony. What do they do? Did they defer the Bengals? They did not defer. They took the ball. They went down the field, and they scored a touchdown. That is a confident football team when they're playing the Buffalo Bills right now. Pat, I was talking to my buddy about it the other day, and it's one of those things that kind of – the caveat that I was missing, I said, I God, I wish – I hope the Bills lose the coin toss on Sunday night, right? I hope they lose the coin toss. So Cincinnati defers to the second half and the Bills get to start with the ball and march down and score. Well, the Bills lost the coin toss, but the Bengals said, yeah, yeah, we're, we're, we're taking the ball. Like we're not, we're not deferring. And it just, uh, you know, again, one of those, one of those pieces. And even when, again, it's seven, seven, the Bills come, they march down, they score. I'm like, all right, this is good. This is going to work out for the Bills because they're going to hang in the first half. They're going to start with the ball in the second half. And like, let's, let's correct things here that obviously did not did not happen but yeah kudos and it's interesting with the Bengals too right because there's some weird analytics and metrics of them like punting and some fourth down situations where they really shouldn't right we're in the plus side of the field or there there were some things there that it was just like wow those are you know I guess that's who coach Taylor is like that's a little interesting but then they'll be aggressive in other ways that you wouldn't expect. Like it doesn't, it doesn't add up from that level of, of aggression, but again, kudos to them. They, they won the game and it seems like things are back on track. I think it is a case last week's game against the Bengals, just like the bills two weeks ago. I I think their offense, they only scored three points in the second half. The bills offense didn't score much in the second half against Tampa. Kind of, you take your foot off the gas a little bit and you have a lot of confidence that their offense is not going to beat your defense, just like the Bills did against Tampa and weren't out for that Jordan Phillips penalty. You know, it wouldn't even came down to the end of the game. Um, yeah, I think that's what happened with Cincinnati. I think they got up bigger and they just they took their foot off the gas a little bit and they said, you know what, I don't want to give you the ball at the 40, 45 yard line if or midfield and try to go for it. We'll we'll punt it, pin you back. They did a good job of punting and pinning the Bills back too, because the Bills did not have good field position for uh a lot of that game. Let, let me ask you this because, and, and we talk about the start of the game. Since he takes the ball, bam, they score. The Bills come right back. And you're like, all right, fasten up. Here we go. Just like the start of that Bills-Miami game in week four. Then since he scores again, 
And then Josh Allen just throws an absolutely inexcusable interception and boop, 21-7, uphill battle that they're not going to get out of. We'll talk about maybe Josh in a minute here. I want to start because to me, this is the most important thing. Again, we'll get into Denver in a few minutes here. Sean McDermott, this maybe it's me and it's just not sitting well with me and other people don't care as much. But I look at Sean McDermott right now. Is this a coach that is kind of lacking a little bit of self-accountability? Because I've listened to him and, and I'm starting to pay more attention to, you know, reading the tea leaves and maybe I'm doing it a little bit too much, but a couple weeks ago, I don't remember. I think it might've been after the new England game. Tyler Bass had missed three field goals in two games and coaches just don't ever seem to call out things in players specifically, but he did a couple weeks ago. And then this game on Sunday night, the bills got outplayed. They certainly got out coached as well. And Sean McDermott keeps using these same buzzwords execution. He called out the two turnovers. He says something along the lines of, I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but you can't turn the ball over twice. You know, it, it got us away from our winning formula, whatever the freak that meant. Um, so he's using that with execution and he's using that a lot. Um, complimentary football. He's using those words a lot. Basically to me, what he's doing is putting all the onus right now on the players. I know it's coach speak and it's cliche, but for once I actually want to hear coach speak. I want to hear Sean McDermott say, listen, we got to play better. We got to coach better. We need to be better prepared. And he's not really saying that stuff. He's basically without saying it, you know, word for word, he's saying our players are going out there and screwing up and, and not getting the job done right now. That's the way I'm interpreting the way he's acting. And I know for a fact Maybe not current players this year, but in over the last couple of years, this has not resonated well with some of the players on the football team. This goes all the way back to 13 seconds where there just wasn't any sense of coaching accountability, really. What do you what do you think right now with that? Yeah, it's it's a fine line. It, it really is. And I say it because it's um if he just does a hundred percent coach speak, people get angry, right? If he sort of has a little underlying, like, yeah, I'm kind of calling my guys out a little bit, like I'm towing up to that line. Maybe I'm just going an inch over it, but not too far. Like, because mm -hmm. there are definitely execution things that are not that are not going well. Like, I think that is fair to say that like this comes down to execution. In a perfect world, right? What do you say in this scenario? Hey, as a coach, I could be better. There's some things that I've got to look right. at. I yep. can improve on. And I'm sure if the guys were up here right now, our players, they would tell you the same thing, that there's some things that they need to execute on. That's a way of getting it across of saying like, there is part of this on me, but I'm going to share this with the guys. And I think everyone would probably listen to that and say, say it's okay. But again, for where things are right now, and I equate this, I know I use basketball analogies too much. As a coach, you have to believe in what you are doing is best for the team. You have to have that level of confidence. And sometimes, yeah, you can admit when there's a mistake, but it's also that level of almost, and it, it's borderline arrogance that comes to it. I think back to Jim Beheim, the Hall of Fame coach for Syracuse University. Like, listen, Jim Beheim was playing a 2-3 zone no matter who he was playing against. Mm -hmm. You could be the best three-point shooting team in the world, or you could have five, seven-footers on the floor. He was not changing his defensive scheme for whatever it was, and he was going to win 85% of his games, right, and, and have, a, have a lot of success with it. 
So I think with coaches, I mean, look, at any time you draw up a play, it is designed to work. Whether it's your defense, your offense, it's like, hey, the 11 guys do what they're supposed to. This play is going to work. And and again, it it's that level of almost borderline arrogance that you have to have as a head coach to have that type of, of confidence. I realize guys might not like it. Here's the reality with it. You're not always supposed to like your head coach. There are some things that they're supposed to do that will rub you the, rub them the wrong way. Sean McDermott yeah. is not going to be perfect, but I still think he is a damn good coach. And, you know, there's some things that need to be better. Don't get me wrong. But I don't I don't read into it too much or like that I think there's a there's a problem with it because sometimes I think you need to kind of toe that line a little bit to just you know what, maybe somebody isn't playing well enough. Maybe he's not talking to all 53 guys on the team, but a handful of them when he says that line. And it's like, maybe you need to take a look at yourself and say, you know, is there something I need to be doing better here? Well, put it this way, fans, regardless of how you feel about Sean McDermott, they better figure it out because he ain't going anywhere anytime soon. I mean, he's got an extension They've had a lot of success, especially regular season success since he's become head coach. It would take this year and next year just being epic failures, I think, for Terry Bagula to move on from him. So regardless of how you feel about him, it needs to work itself out because he's just not going anywhere. Ken Dorsey, that's another story. Uh, I'm getting to a point, though. So I watched the All-22 film, and I've been doing it now for two seasons. So it's not like I don't... I've said, I say this at my show every Wednesday because I do a solo show, which if you haven't checked that out, make sure you guys do. Um, where I watch the film, I look at the PFF grades and I kind of make some of my own conclusions. I say it all the time. I'm not Eric Turner. I'm not Anthony Borahaska. I'm not Joe Marino. I'm not going to be able to break down schemes and, you know, cover fits and, and all this stuff. But I just kind of watch it, get my own opinions. I got to say this. Ken Dorsey deserves a lot of blame. And in fact, at this point, I'm ready to move on from him. And I do think the Bills, I think he is going to be, I don't want him to say scapegoat because I think his firing could be deserved at the end of the season if things don't change dramatically starting like now. But sometimes you got to put some shit on the quarterback too, Ant. And in the both games now against the Bengals, when I went back and watched, they're the only two games I've seen that I can remember where when you look at Josh Allen's box score, and then you watch the film, I think you conclude that he played a lot worse than the stats indicated. There were, I mean, he has, just like always, he had some really good plays, some good moments, but there's a couple of bad plays. And I'm going to throw this up here, and it's, look, Pat Mahomes, you do the same thing, Jalen Hurts, these guys all make mistakes, and it's easy to just slap up one graphic and say, oh my God, look at this, this guy was wide open, this guy was wide open, they all make those mistakes, all of them, not just Josh Allen. So I want to preface that. But I put this up here, this is the interception, if you're watching this on video, for the audio side, I'll describe it. This is the play where Josh Allen throws an interception and tenant for Gabe Davis, where it's 14-7 Cincinnati. It was second and 10 with about nine minutes left in, in, in the second quarter. And I just circled. James Cook off the line is wide open. You could have went to Kincaid. You could have went to Stephon Diggs. Worst case, you're setting yourself up with a third and short. I'm starting to feel like Josh Allen's getting a little bit of tunnel vision. Like you could see in the film, he stared at Gabe Davis from the moment that ball was snapped until he telegraphed it and threw it, which was an easy interception. He's going through moments where I don't know if it's because he wants to press, you know, and he doesn't want to take what the defense gives him, 
which he was doing earlier in the season, the Raiders, Miami, uh, Washington. He's just telegraphy plays in, in, in tunnel vision. Another play, I don't have a graphic, the Hardy. Remember the Hardy bomb? Yeah. The one throw, which I'm so annoyed about Deontay Hardy. Not because of him, not his fault. Yeah. But Gabe Davis was open on a crossing route. Easy 10 to 12 yards. He never even looked. He was going to Deontay Hardy no matter what. My point is this. I love Josh. We all love Josh Allen. And he's a top five quarterback. And I don't think that's changed for me. But he's he needs to be, I don't want to say accountability because he does take accountability. But this ain't all Ken Dorsey. Sometimes the yeah. play's there and the quarterback's just making the wrong decision. And Josh is doing plenty of that, quite frankly, recently. Yeah, and it's again, you, you know, the the Josh Allen conversation. There's parts that he needs to do better. I think sometimes it's, and everyone wonders, like, is is it Dorsey? Is it McDermott saying, like, I don't want you doing this? Are they in his head? Whatever it is, and it's like, and, and nobody knows. Like, that's that's not going to come out unless it's like 20 years from now, and uh, Josh Allen is doing a weekly podcast with Tyler Dunn, and you know, sharing all the you know intricacies of of what happened all those those years ago. Um, when I, I look at Josh playing these days, it's like it does not seem like he's having fun out there. No. Say that from a, like, you know, here is a guy and like, listen, he's, he's not a fresh faced rookie anymore either. Right. He's, he's been around, he's seen some stuff. He's, you know, endured some tough losses, this and that. And um, I think back, I think back to the episode of Ted Lasso, it's always one of those pieces. I find it very relatable in life when Isaac is in this like horrible, tough spot wearing the, weight of the world on his shoulders as captain the team is not playing well and uh ted and roy meet him in like the dark alley back where roy used to mm -hmm. play growing up you know and isaac is out there playing pickup football and he's all like you know you're trying to get me hurt this and that and roy pulls him over and it's like you know gives us just epic speak of like you know f your feelings f your this f your that like football is supposed to be fun go out and play and i feel like for the player that josh allen is when he is like scrambling around the pocket and resetting himself and you know you can say like oh backyard football is what they do best yeah that is what he does best that is not a ken dorsey thing it's not a sean mcdermott thing it is like that is when this player is at his best so let him be at his best but there is just something going on where everything feels forced, everything feels difficult. And it's just like, again, not to equate it to like, yeah, Ted Lasso, fairy tale TV show, I get it. But like something along the lines of like, just go out there and play. And if you make a mistake, you make a mistake. Like, I, I, who cares? Like, just just go. But everything feels like every play has a, a, a weight, you know, a rock in the backpack type of mentality to it of just sort of like, if it doesn't work, there's this like just weird sense around it. I mean, even when you looked at Josh's reaction to the intentional grounding call, which was horseshit, by the way, oh, terrible. Okay, the, the other day, but just like this, you know, he just has like this glazed look over him and it's like, you, you get it. Like nothing is, is working the way that you would want it to. And I just hope that they can just figure that part out soon. <laughs> We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. 
Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, I'm back with Anthony Marino. We, uh, we've been spending some time kind of just talking about the Bills in general and, you know, some of the fallout from this Bengals game. We'll get to Denver here in just a second. Real quick, too, I want to remind people, if you haven't done so already and you have Twitter, go on my Twitter, at Patrick Moran TV. I got it pinned right at the very top. Uh, it's an opportunity for you to win our prize pack giveaway, which is a large pizza and 20 wings from Macy's Place Pizzeria and Imperial Pizza, and Sunny Reds. All three, large pizza, 20 wings. All you got to do is go to my Twitter, hit a retweet button, a screenshot, take you about 10 seconds, and a nice little call opportunity for you to win some free elite Buffalo pizza and wings. All right, so anyway, look, some stuff we could spend all day, every week talking about. It feels like every other week, what's going on with Gabe Davis? I'll tell you what's going on with Gabe Davis. They're, They're not throwing him the football. It's as simple as that. Let's move on from that because it it really pisses me off. This defense, you know, it's tough. You know, it's you know we can criticize Dorsey and Josh and the offense, and they deserve a lot of it. And you can't use injuries as an excuse because other than Dawson Knox, you know, the key players are all relatively healthy. Not the same on the defense. So it's really hard to to come down on them. Uh, Alex Braske, I never realized this. He put up a tweet at the end of the game on Sunday night. And I never thought of it, but I was like, damn. He said, on the field for the Bills defense to end the game. They had Taylor Rapp, Dorian Williams, Tyrell Dotson, Josh Norman, Dane Jackson, Jordan Phillips. Just the way Buffalo drew it up to begin the year. It is insane how hard this defense has been just completely decimated with injuries. I'm going to say this because, you know, usually when we tape on Wednesday mornings and today's no exception for a Thursday drop. The Bills haven't practiced today. We have no updates with the, the latest injuries. The understanding is Dane Jackson will be fine. But Micah Hyde, uh, Christian Benford, Terrell Bernard, there's a chance they miss time. Now, you're talking, if those three miss Monday night's game, six of your 11 starters from week one on defense are out because of injury. It's just insane. You can only put so much on the defense when you're that decimated. That's depressing, too, because this was a defense, if healthy. I'd feel a lot different about the Bills being 5-4 and four if it wasn't for injuries. Like, if Milano, Daquan Jones, I'd be like, they'll figure this shit out. These guys are great players. But now you're talking Dorian Williams being out there, and Josh Norman might end up having to play more snaps than you want him to, and... Again, just going up and down the the line, it's just Terrell Dodson's important now. He should be playing special teams, and now he's an important part of the Bills' defense. Come on, man. 
Uh, I, I laugh because it is just, uh, you know, when you think to the start of the season, right? Like, good gosh, like the, you know, an injury to Terrell Bernard is like a thing that we is, is devastating right now based on where things, things are. And you're talking about like Josh Norman, like what, this is where things are. Right. And again, you can go through, you get one injury here or there, right? Like, Hey, uh, Micah Hyde goes down last season. It's like, okay, you know, DeMar Hamlin, what can this young guy do? Like, you know, if it's one out of 11, that's one piece. If it's six out of 11, you can say next man up all you want. This is a hell of a lot different than, than anything along, along those lines. And it just, um, I know people will say, oh, every team goes to injuries, this and that. It's fine. Every team does. But if you are talking six out of 11, yeah, I can, I can, you can call it an excuse if you want. That is a legitimate reason. It is. It's not an excuse. It's a reason. It is. And I mean, they did sign over the past week, two new guys, uh, Linval Joseph and, and Russell Douglas, who, by the way, we were wondering if they might play. Well, they played a lot. On Monday night, I think they had to. They had, yeah, they had no choice. Joseph had 30 snaps, Douglas had 42. These guys had two practices with the team. They both played fine. You know, I'm I feel pretty confident uh in them. One last thing before we get into Denver specifically, and just you know, I, I at least want to bring them up quickly. The offense is frustrating and it's annoying, but if you're looking for a legitimate true bright spot, just not for now, but a peek into the future as well. It has to be Dalton Kincaid, man. I have become such a big fan. And look, that fumble, was it costly? It was huge. That said, I don't think he did anything wrong. He was trying to make a play, and it was bang-bang, too. He went up in the air, a perfect play. Sometimes the defensive guy just makes a beautiful play, and you got to take their hat off. I don't want him to fumble the football. But you got to give credit to the defense. It was a great play. But anyway, he had 10 catches. You could tell Josh's comfort level with Delta Kincaid is growing exponentially. I mean, he trusts him. You could see it. And I, I take away like my bright spot. Remember Chiefs offense a couple of years ago? They had Tyreek Hill, so Diggs. They have Kelsey Kincaid. And I'm not comparing Kelsey to Kincaid. I'm just saying the same type of thing where he's one of your two best pass catchers. And then the other guys... Who gives a shit? You know, we talk all this wide receiver too. I don't care. Mikel Hardman, Scantling, Juju Schuster, you can go up and down the road with Kansas City. You know, now they got Rasheed Rice. It's like somebody's going to step up. And I'm good with the Bills, whether Shakir, it's Hardy, if God forbid they actually start using this guy more. Sherfield, Gabe Davis, whoever. I really don't even care about the number two receiver. I'm really excited about Dalton Kincaid. Dalton Kincaid is your now, he's your number two receiver at this point. Listen, I'm incredibly excited about him, what he's done these past, whatever it's been, three weeks of tr mm -hmm. truly showing, right? Like, hey, this is what a first round pick looks like and can, yep. can do. Um, I am not as easy to look past the fumble, though. And here's why I say it. If that play was Dawson Knox and he fumbled that football, people would be losing their minds. Dawson Knox, this and that, blah, 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 all this type of stuff. Fair. My hope, my hope is for a player like Dalton Kincaid. It's just like, okay, this has got to be a learning moment for the young guy, right? To to come back in a situation like that. Hey, you're fighting for a couple extra yards. You can do that with with wrapping the ball with you know with both arms and making sure that that's not going anywhere. And I think he's the type of player that he will learn from that. 
but that was an incredibly costly mistake oh, for sure. at that time in the football game um, at just the, the worst, the worst time. And that, it's so, so again, right. A, a rookie, all that type of stuff. I'm good, but I, I'm not going to give him too much of a pass just because he's, he's showing some, some real progress because if it was Dawson Knox or Gabe Davis or whatever, People, anyone other than Stefan Diggs, people they be killing them, lost their minds. So yeah, it's just a little bit of like, okay, it happened. Let's just make sure this doesn't happen again. Well, that's fair. All right, so the Bills are five and four. They don't play again to Monday night. God, I gotta know. You know, it's bad enough having to wait Sunday night and all the football going on. Which, by the way, this past week because of Miami and Kansas City playing the morning game, so I actually got my ass up early. After having a fun day with friends, I'll just leave it at that. On Saturday, that went into the night. Such a long day waiting for the Bills to play on Sunday. I see it. I sound like a broken record. I am so over these primetime games. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. But anyway, that's what it is. The Bills at 5-4 and four are playing the Denver Broncos at home on Monday night. And I'll tell you this. It's easy to look at the Denver Broncos and associate them as the team that gave up 70 points to the Miami Dolphins uh, back, I think it was it was week three because that was the game that Miami scored 70 going into the Buffalo game in week four. They lost five of their first six. They were pathetic early in the season, kind of looked like they were tanking. New coach, Sean Payton. But this is not that team right now, man. This is a team. They've won their last two games. They beat the Kansas City Chiefs, which not a lot of teams could say that. They beat them... Uh, 24 to 9. And they also played them twice. They only lost 19 to 8 in Kansas City the first time they played them a handful of weeks ago. So this is a pretty competitive football team right now that's playing well, two straight wins. And for what it's worth, they're going to be very well rested because they're they're coming off a bye. So look, I'm certainly not going to go as far as to say this isn't a game the Bills shouldn't win, but this isn't, you know, it's not the biggest gimme in the world either. This is a football team that's playing pretty well that knocked off the defending Super Bowl champ two in a row, and they're coming off a bye. Yeah, and it was, you know, you talk about them as a team around the trade deadline. There were certainly guys on their roster, Cortland Sutton, Jerry Judy, like those names would get thrown around. Like, are they going to be mm -hmm. sellers? And right, they they really weren't. And, you know, from that standpoint, it's like, you know, there's some talent there. You know, it's certainly an upgraded head coach and Sean Payton. Yeah, things have not necessarily been going well, but as you mentioned, they beat the Chiefs. So it's just one of those like, and let's be honest, the Bills should not be overlooking any opponent at this point, the way nope. that they've been been playing. So, you know, this is probably enough of, I don't want to say the uh, the perfect opponent for them to play, but let's just say it's a it's a team that's that's middling, right? They've they're good enough that you you definitely can't take them lightly. You're playing at home, even though they're coming off the bye, the bills, you know, the extra days rest. I'll at least take that as a, a positive right now, especially as it relates to Christian Benford and Micah Hyde and the potential to, to get them on the field. But yeah, this is, um, this is a weird game, right? I mean, it kind of like the same stuff that we were saying about Tampa Bay two weeks ago right like yeah you know they're they're good enough that you're not looking past them like you should be better um but again for the bills they came out they demonstrated that they were better they dominated most of the game but you let a team hang around enough like you don't want to let the broncos hang around on monday night no they could be a dangerous team they're three and five 
Uh, I feel like I'm sure they think that they're not out of it. You know, they could still, there's time to climb into a playoff wild card uh, race. Definitely got some strengths to their team. You mentioned the wide receivers are very good. Jerry Judy, Corlin Sutton, that's one of the better one two tandems in the yeah. NFL. Marvin Mims is a really promising rookie. I think he returns punts too. He's dangerous there. Uh, they got strong running backs between uh, Javante Williams, uh, Samaje Perrine. So they got some weapons on offense. I think the worst part of their offense is their quarterback because I still think Russ Wilson is completely cooked. But he's been around. He's done it before. Um, defense, not a lot of studs on that. Nick Benito's got five and a half sacks. Jonathan Cooper, four and a half. They do have, though, one of, and this one might be a fun matchup. If you're looking for a, objectively a fun thing to watch for on Monday night, some Patrick Sertain on Stephon Diggs might be a lot of fun because there's not a lot of corners in this NFL that do it better already for being so young than uh than Patrick Sertain Jr. Well, and it, yes, a great matchup, and it kind of goes back not to keep talking about the Cincinnati game, but one thing that we didn't discuss, you know, that first drive, the Bills two two targets, two completions to Stefan Diggs for forty some yards, right? I mean, yeah. one where he's breaking tackles, just keeping moving, just making plays. And then they're not getting them the ball after that. And I know we're saying like, hey, we don't want Josh forcing the ball into folks or anything along those lines. But it's just like, that is your best player on offense. That is your best weapon. Get him the ball. I don't care if it's Patrick Sertain, man coverage, zone coverage, whatever it is. You know, not just forcing things, but it's just, even when you showed that graphic before of the interception to Gabe Davis, like during the game, I thought he was throwing to Diggs in that position, right? It was just like, okay, we didn't get the ball to Diggs on the last drive. He turns to the left, Diggs is open. It's just that piece of like, here is a guy that is open so much. Like, just let's just make sure that that stays consistent. And that has nothing to do with Diggs. His attitude is this and that, like keeping him happy. Like he is arguably the best wide receiver in the NFL right now. Statistically, he is. So this it's year. like, yeah, get him the ball. You yeah. can still get the ball to Dalton Kincaid. You can still do these other things. But the best way to sustain drives is by passing the ball to Stefan Diggs. Yeah. And that was the thing they got away from on, on Sunday night. And I did not see anything like, again, I'm no film guru or those pieces like you say, but there was nothing that the Bengals did that it was just like, oh, my gosh, look at what they did defensively that just took Stefan Diggs out of the picture here. Not the yeah. case at all. So. Huh. I, I agree. Look, if the Bills offense, and we keep saying this, it's ever going to, quote, unquote, get fixed, this is the week to start. If it ain't going to start this week, I don't know when it's going to, quite frankly, because it's probably not going to have a, a ton of success against the Jets in the following week just because of how good the Jets' defense is. The Jets lose games. The Jets don't get blown out and because the defense sucks. They always play good defense. Anyway, Denver dead last. In the NFL, 405.9 yards per game they're surrendering, and they're giving up 28 points, over 28 points per game. So, man, if there's a, again, if there's a, I hate saying this, get right. I hate saying that. We say it way too often, too many times this year, get right. But if there is a get right game, it's this, it's this. And I want to see Josh Allen, and I agree with you, I want to see a little more fun out of him. And I know that sounds corny. Like we're talking about little kids right now. Like our kids are playing little loop or something, but I do want to see more fun. He does look tight and I think he's forcing stuff. And I think Sean McDermott has his hands in that offensive cookie jar 
more than people want to admit. I think it, to some extent, he's tempered what they're trying to do on offense. Um, I don't know. I just, I, I, I want to see. I want to go back to the early part of the season, weeks two through four. The offense me, was fun then, man. Well, let me ask you a question. And again, this is probably looking into it a little too much, but think to think to Sunday night. Bills score on their first offensive drive. Mm -hmm. Josh pointing at a defender as he's running into the end zone and gets a unsportsmanlike penalty, right? Yep. Like, and you're thinking to yourself, like, oh my gosh, what are, what is is this? But then all of a sudden it's like it looked like he was having fun on that first drive. You know, was that the piece that all of a sudden, not to say like, ah, you got your hand slapped, this and that, but Right. I mean, you get up join after a first down or you complete something and, you know, you say something to the defensive end that didn't get there in time that you're tossed out of the game. Like, I almost wondered if that was something like, gosh, we were seeing this offense playing loose and all of a sudden then something happens, you know, and whatever they come out the next drive. It's like a first down, you know, handoff mm -hmm. to James Cook and just yep. sort of sort of that piece. But it seemed like that was a, almost a, yeah, you got in trouble. And, uh, you know, like mom and dad come down to the basement when you're with your buddies and like, hey, tone it down or we're sending everybody home. I don't know. It was just it was probably just a coincidence, but I've been thinking about it more than I probably should. Uh, I'll tell you what. I'm, I'm glad you asked me that. I watched Tone Pucks was at my house. We watched the game together. When Josh did that, I loved it. Totally. Loved it. Totally. I loved it. Talk your shit. Talk your shit. That's I was literally out at my TV. Talk your shit. Take the penalty. I don't care. Give me that Josh Allen because that's Josh Allen the Bills need. And by the way, it only costs them. It costs them seven yards for people who really care that much. Instead of kicking the ball through the end zone, started to 25. Uh, Cincinnati ran it out to the 32. I'll take that seven yards to have my quarterback talk his shit and feeling the way he was feeling after that. A hundred times out of a hundred, I had zero problems with that penalty. And Ultimately, I think it's this, man. I think the Bengals, their first half success on offense, putting up 21, how easily they were going up and down the field. Joe Burrow played great, by the way. I mean, we probably should mention that at some point. He's a great quarterback, and he played great. Um, very smart decision maker, very poised, accurate. He could take off and get some yards on the ground, hurt you a little bit there, too. Joe Burrow's an awesome quarterback, and he played great. I think at that point, though, because of the Bills' defense inability to stop them, I think that contributed a little bit to Josh Allen maybe pressing and feeling like he needed to, to get downfield and make big plays down the field instead of taking what he was getting. And I think that had an adverse effect uh, on that game. But anyway, going back to this Denver game here, <laughs> most rhetorical questions. I already know who you're going to tell me who's going to win. But prediction time here, I'm, I'm interested in what your score is going to be. Is this going to be a blowout game? Is this going to be close? What, what do you think here? Yeah, I got Buffalo 24-20. And I do feel like it's going to oh, be. Oh, wow. Game. Listen, I think when, and I say that, right, it's a little bit of just call it recency, I don't say bias or whatever, just sort of how you're you're feeling, kind of like a lack of, of confidence with this. But even to your staff before, you said, oh, you know, this Broncos defense is giving up 28 points a game or whatever the number was. Well, if you take out the 70 point game to the, to the Dolphins, and I get it, you can't just eliminate that, but like right. their defense has not played poorly. No. And, you know, they, they get a win over the Chiefs. Like, this is one that is probably going to be closer than Bills fans want it to be. And maybe it's even one of those where it's like, hey, the Bills are kind of controlling the game, but 
sort of feeling like that Tampa Bay game. Like all of a sudden at the end, it's like, yeah, you need to get a stop in the fourth quarter to put this one away. And can the Bills can the Bills do that? So, uh, you know, at some point the injuries have caught up to the team, and you just can't say, you know, you mentioned it before. If the def- you know, if Matt Milano and Daquan Jones are out there, you're probably like, yeah, they'll they'll get this right. These guys will make some plays. They'll do this. There's just too many injuries to just look past and say that this Bills can just put a team away. Yeah. Um- I'm glad you mentioned that too about Denver with the defense. Yeah, they gave up 70, but this is also a team that held Kansas City to to nine points and to 19 points to two times. So they've held the Chiefs under 20 points twice. It's not easy to do. No, um, I think the Bills are going to win, and I'm not going to have another show later in the week and change my mind like I did last week. Uh, I think the Bills are going to. I think the Bills offense is going to have some success. I think they're going to put up 31. I say 31. 23 and I only and the only reason why I even give them 23 Denver is because I hate speculating because it's so early in the week and we're taping this before they even practice on Wednesday where the first designations for injuries come out but I think Mike there's a good chance Hyde and Bernard don't play this week if Benford doesn't play they're fine Douglas and Dane Jackson I think the quarters are fine but Terrell Bernard that's a big loss and Micah Hyde obviously could be a big loss too if those guys uh, don't play, but I'm still going 31 23. I think the Bills offense is going to start to get cooking a little bit better. One last point I forgot to tell you this, should have said this an hour ago. <laughs> um, Sean McDermott talking about different styles of offense. He was asked why they're not going to the up tempo more, and he said, uh, they wanted to try different styles of offense. That almost made me want to take something and whip it at my computer because I, I listened to the presser on my computer. I almost punched my computer when he said that crowd noise in the end zone. There was no crowd noise when the Bills went 85 yards on the first drive. Up tempo was was crowd noise an issue there? No, it wasn't. Anyway, I'm pissed off. If you want a different tone next week when we talk, we better not be talking about a, a Bills loss, dude. That might We might not even talk. be able to talk Bills anymore. If the Bills lose to Denver at home on Monday night. Simple as that. <laughs> Let's get... We haven't done it in a couple of weeks. Let's finish off with our uh, our fittest sentence segment. Um, for people new, this isn't uh, Anthony and I. I just ask him three pop culture or life questions. Just an opportunity for fans uh, to get to know a little bit more about us on the other side besides just what we think about the bills and stuff. And if you're watching or listening at home, maybe it give you a little bit of a, a thought exercise for yourself as well. Uh, three questions this week. Let's start with the first one here. A TV show someone in my family liked growing up that I didn't was blank. You know, the the first thing that came to mind for me here, and it's weird. It's like, God, I watched a lot of bad TV growing up. I can't even really think of anything to say like, oh, gosh, I really didn't like this show. But uh, I remember growing up the show Alf just being like, this is, this is kind of dumb, man. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? And people like love that show and it was popular. At least I remember it being popular. And it just mm-hmm. was like, yeah, this one just doesn't, just doesn't work for me. And it's like, I don't know, maybe, maybe you enjoyed it growing up or others, but no. it was just one of those things that it was just like, it would be on in the background. It's like, what are we, what are we doing here? <laughs> for me, uh, my sister was a big fan of, of the show. And I think it's cause she liked David Hasselhoff. That's what I'm thinking anyway. But Knight Rider used to be on, on Friday nights. I hated that show. And it was always on our TV because we didn't, you know, we didn't all have this 
you know, back in those days, you didn't get had TVs in every bedroom and stuff like that. So yeah, I had to watch what whoever had the TV first. Um, me and my sister anyway, and she loved Knight Rider, and I hated that stupid show. I always thought David Hasselhoff, even when I was a little kid, was corny. Um, and that computer car, come on, fucking talking like that. It was just, it, it was annoying. Hated that show. I hated it. My mom also was a big soap opera fan. She was a stay-at-home mom, which again, back in those days was very common. Not as much maybe in today's world, but soap operas. They were always on in the house. I hated them. But I got to give you a quick confession here. My freshman year of, of high school, um, I injured my back and I ended up in the hospital for like, I herniated some discs in my back. Long story short, I didn't get to go to school for the last five months of the school year. I'd have a tutor come to my house because um, I just couldn't get up and walk around. Um, I got, I don't want to say addicted, but I started watching soap operas for that year because when I was growing up, again, we didn't have, or we'd have one TV in the living room where you had, you didn't even have a remote. You had the thing that, God, I'm making myself sound so damn old here, where you had to change the channels. There weren't yeah. a lot of channel options up in my room. We didn't have cable upstairs. So it was basically 247 Fox. I don't even think ESPN was up in the bedroom. No, it wasn't because it didn't have cable up there. So anyway, I ended up watching all these soap operas. One Life to Live, All My Children, and General Hospital, that little block on ABC. So even though I hated my mom watching it, I think I started to hate watching it myself when I had no choice <laughs> after I got hurt. All right, next one here. A TV studio show taping you've attended or would have loved to attend is blank. I hope I explained that well enough to you. I, when I said that to you, I'm like, does he understand what I'm talking about here? No, I understand what you're what you're talking about here. I've never attended a TV studio show taping, right? No? So that that part to me, and it's like, and I'm trying not to go with something uh, too old school. There are two things I came up with. I mean, the first one, and I don't even think either of these fit where you're going to say, was like the inside the NBA studio show, right? To sit there live with Shaq, Chuck, mm -hmm. Kenny Smith, um, Ernie Johnson, like to me, that is the, the best. It is the most natural. It is four guys having a great time with each other. But even then, I was just like kind of going back to what you said before, something you, you hated grow watching growing up, something I loved. I would have just loved to be in the audience for The Price is Right, like to have that opportunity. Ah. Are they going to call my name? Do I get to come on down? Am I going to be one of those four people? Would you um, have been all excitable? Would you have been all excitable if they called you down like they are on camera? No, nah, I probably would have been more like running with some goofy fist pump or just something. A little fist pump. You know what I mean? Just like I'm <laughs> I'm locked in, I'm ready to go. I know how much this refrigerator costs, and I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna get this. But that that to me was like something that you looked at of like that anticipation of like which one of these people is gonna get called and get to run up there. That that would have been something I would have wanted to uh to be a part of. That, that's that's cool. I did go to one. Um, so this is going to be my answer. I went to the, I went to a live uh, taping of the Dave Letterman show before in New York City. It was back in 2008. That was a lot of fun. You don't realize when you watch it on TV how small the crowd in the studio is, yeah. even though they're loud. And it's pretty pretty wild. Like they got directors that pretty much instruct you to laugh. Like they got the laugh sign. Uh, they'll get you going in between commercials with clapping, getting you all into it, getting you hyped. Um, that was a lot of fun though. The the guest, Jessica Simpson was the guest. Not a huge Jessica Simpson fan either. So I, I would have liked a you know a little bit 
better or more famous guest. Although she was pretty big at the time. Beautiful young woman, too. Very small. But yeah, going to the Dave Letterman show in New York City was, uh, that was cool. It's the only time I've ever been to any kind of TV show before in an audience. So that, that was really cool. That was a lot of fun. Last one here. The scariest movie you can ever remember seeing is blank. You know, I, I guess I will have to go with The Exorcist. And I am not a I'm not a big horror movie guy. I didn't love the genre growing up. You know, I mean, I, I think of like horror movies I went to at the theater, you know, going to see Sixth Sense is even a horror movie or, you know, a scary movie. It has some jump moments like Blair Witch. We thought was going to be that. And it was freaking horrible. But like The Exorcist was one of those pieces in high school together with a bunch of friends starting to watch it. And I just remember sitting there at one point. I mean, I'm probably like a junior or senior in high school, like closing my eyes during during the movie. Like yeah. that was just one when you think of like horror movies and like true, just like, man, this feels like something that could really happen in some sick, twisted, demented way. That one stuck with me again. I mean, here I am like 17, 18 years old, like closing my eyes during a scene in the movie like that. I was just so freaked out by it so that is uh that is the one for for me every now and then and we never tell each other what our answers are going to be every now and then a handful of times we've had the same answer and this is one of them and i'm with you on i'm not a big horror film guy either i yeah. never i hate them now i won't watch a horror i can't even tell you the last time i watched a real horror film as an adult even as a kid growing up i didn't like them because they would scare the shit out of me quite frankly and some of them i thought were dumb too but the reason why I say that as opposed to say Friday the 13th or the Halloweens or the Freddy Kruegers and stuff, because as scary as they were and as much as they made you jump in a moment, I never felt they were real. Like I would watch that movie. I'd be like, this shit ain't happening, man. How many times you got to kill Jason Voorhees or Michael Myers before they're actually freaking dead? You know what I'm saying? So I never believed it. The Exorcist scared the shit out of me because I believed it was realistic. Yeah. Somebody getting possessed by the devil. You know, it's like, I feel like that's something that spiritually or mentally in someone's head, especially if they're on state, that could happen. Whereas, you know, somebody with a mask ain't going to put, you know, walk around a knife and kill a whole town. Somebody's going to shoot this dude in the head and he's going to be dead. And that's the end of the movie. But with the exorcist, the whole fact of being possessed and the slow burn of it happening, I was like, this shit could happen. Yeah. So it scared the hell out of me for that reason. So that's why I go with The Exorcist as well. Just yeah, I I think the last one that was kind of recent, and again, people probably don't even consider this a, a scary movie, but it was like the anticipation or whatever. Um, I, the family was away a for something. I was home, you know, by myself with the dog, and I watched a, a Quiet Place, you know, the John Krasinski movie by myself, like in the dark, late at night, like something I mm. never do. You know what I mean? And you're just like in a house by yourself watching something like that. And then you try to go to bed and it's just like, yeah, the dog's staying with me tonight. And it's just like any little thing you hear, it just that, that definitely kind of freaked me out. But I'll make like sure you, I, I don't do a lot of scary Maybe. type of movies. That's No, because I get scared easy. I get scared easy. And I'm very jumpy too. Like I hear the little sound and I get startled. Uh, Real easy. So anyway, <laughs> that was fun. But yeah, The Exorcist was totally uh, believable to me. It is totally believable to me that the Buffalo Bills better play a good football game on Monday night. I don't want to just win. I, I, I need some something to build on. 
not just, hey, six and four, six and four. Please don't, if, if I have you out again next week, which hopefully I do, please, let's not make that the theme. I don't want the title to be, hey, six and four, six and four. You know what I mean? I want style points now. I want confidence in, in, instilled in this football team because I think they need it. So anyway, we'll, we'll, we'll talk next week. Make sure you guys follow Anthony on Twitter at Anth Marino. Check out Buffalo Rumblings. <sighs> I don't know, buddy. I don't know. I feel a little bit better now talking to you over the last hour or so than I did. I, I told you before we started taping, I'm like, I still feel gloomy. I compared it to being dark at 515 outside and cold. So thanks, buddy. Always, always a pleasure having you on. Always a blast, man. All right, guys, I will be back one more episode on tomorrow. Don't ask me who my guest is because I don't know. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.